we are in this series called False or How Do We Discern Truth in, in a World of Falsehood, how we can think about that today. And I listened to Pastor Giovanni. It was great to have him here and Pastor Russell's message last week about A, being witnesses of the truth and then worshiping the true God falsely, the way that we have come into falsehood and it's creeping in creeps into the church. And so today I want to talk about how we can think rightly about what is true and all the things that have affected our thinking, even in sin in the fall. And so before we read our text and have our affirmation, I want to remind us these two premises, these two truths have kind of brought us through this series. And it's good to just remind us of them again. One is that God is for God. You have to come at it this way, that he is passionate about his glory. He is concerned with himself. He loves us, but he is concerned with himself. And two, he has created the world with a certain set of rules, that he knows what is best for us. And so we come at these two things with all of our passionate disagreements, our opinions, all of the things we think about, all the things we, we think are right, and we have to put them through that lens. Is this about God for his glory alone? And is this in line with his word, the way that he set the world in motion, the way that he wants us to live? I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, at the end there, the two verses, but I'm actually going to start in verse 11, so 14 and 16, but I'm actually going to start in verse 11, and then we'll look at the whole chapter kind of in context, give you that. Um, so if you had a Bible, it would be really helpful because not all the verses will be on the screen, but I'm going to reference several of them in the chapter. I'll pick up in verse 11. This is what it says. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by, by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we who are in Christ have the mind of Christ." With that, I want to pray. Pray yourself silently that you would let God's word just speak to your heart, that the Holy Spirit would, would be that, that, that interpreter, that communicator, that it would help us understand, that he would help us understand these things from God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. We thank you for the Spirit, Spirit who helps us to understand these spiritual things, these scriptural truths. He is our counselor, our helper, the one whom Jesus left. He's God, the part of the triune God. And Father, I pray that, that we would just sit now under your word and glean from it. We thank you for this word that changes hearts. I thank you for my brothers in the Philippines that you used your word and your spirit to change hearts, the hearts of men like Johnny, and Joe Vert, and many others that are now preaching, even on this day, across the globe, a gospel message, the news of Jesus Christ, how one can be saved, why we need to be saved, and how one can live, why we need to live this way. And Father, we just praise you, praise you that your word is power, 
that it penetrates our hearts, that it cuts us deep. And I pray that it does that today as we, as we wrap our head around um, what our heart hears and, and how we can think. And so I pray that you'd be with us by your spirit and pray these things in the name of Jesus. All God's people said, I don't know about you, but when I was little, I heard this phrase a lot because I would be doing various things with my dad around the house. And, and sometimes in, in all these examples, it was just little things that maybe he would ask me to take the garbage out or maybe he would ask me to carry dishes into the kitchen. And, and like a typical kid, you would do these things with, without a lot of thought, perhaps, maybe stacking too many dishes and walking in and dropping them, or maybe pulling the garbage out and garbage flying everywhere, or throwing it in from farther away and watching it spill over. And I would always hear my dad in my head, I can still hear him, and probably because I say it to my kids now, he would say, use your brain. Like, what are you thinking about? Is this dad thing, like, use your brain, like, put some thought into what you're doing. Are you thinking about what you're doing? You think about that for, for anything in life experience. And so today, thank you, Dad, generationally, I have passed that on. And Jeremiah hears it a lot. I say, bud, use your brain. What are you doing? And what I mean by that, what my dad meant by that is just put some thought. Are you thinking about what you're doing? And are you thinking rightly? Have you processed all that? Now, these remedial tasks, we don't put a lot of thought into them. But what we do in the church is not a remedial task. What we do in the church is handle the Word of God, and we've talked about that in this series. We've talked about how to handle it correctly, and it's not a remedial task. It's something that you and I as believers have to put a lot of thought into of ourselves getting back in the Word and using our brain, using our brain to look at the Bible. It's how we need to be critical. It's how we need to think rightly, it's how we need to look at the things of the world and, and put them through this lens of Scripture so that we could honor God with our life. Jesus includes the faculty of the mind when he gives us the greatest commandment in Mark 12, 30. He includes it. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He includes it. He says, if you're going to love the Lord, you can love him with your heart. That's ex experiential, if you will, in terms of a relationship, a relationship with Jesus and our soul and all that we are. But he says, love him with your mind. Think. How are you thinking? How are you thinking? And so, friends, I want to I talk about that today. And I've said this to many, and you know this, even regarding where we started with political stuff. Logic has just gone out the window in our world. I even said that to somebody yesterday. Logic is, is just gone. And you look at some of the things that are happening in our world, and it's just illogical. It's foolishness. And logic is just this thing that's like people aren't even thinking and using their brains anymore, the brains that God gave us. And that kind of thing is happening in the church. Christians are not using their brain, loving God well with their mind, and thinking rightly about the things that we ought to believe. We're being led away in different areas because of foolishness. And, and, and Calvin said it this way, intellectual void. If you want to look at what our, what our country is experiencing and even how that trickles into the church theologically and, and how people are reading less and experiencing more and we look at moral relativism and, and things that, that people, you just look out in the world and you say, how dumb are people getting? This is what Calvin said, intellectual void results when religious categories are systematically rejected. What does that mean? 
It means that if all of life is about God and all of creation and a God who created the world and, and those two things, if God is for God and that he created the world a certain way, if all of life is about those things, how can we push him away without thinking that we're going to live foolishly? How can we start to push his word out and how, how can we start to live by experience? How can we start to dabble in things that, that, that arguably we form doctrines over, but they're not of God? How can we do that? If all of life is about God and our schools push God out and, 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 and even higher forms of education and colleges and universities and, and these students are rising up with, with their own thoughts, not the thoughts about who God is and how he's created the world. And so that is where we land in our text in 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing here in chapter 2 about wisdom. He's saying, this is wisdom. We didn't come with wisdom from the world. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of look back in, in the whole chapter. Paul is saying, you need wisdom, but you need right wisdom. And you need to understand, if you're going to think with your mind, if you're going to think and love God with your mind, you need to understand where true wisdom comes from. We need to use our brains and think rightly and biblically, but we need to do it in the Spirit. And it's only possible, Paul is arguing here, if you're in Christ. Because if you don't know Jesus, you're going to be a natural person who is apart from God, and you're going to be caught in foolishness. And Bradley writes it this way, any kind of intellectual life that we would have will be rooted in Christ and the gospel. If you're going to think rightly and biblically in a way that honors God and loves him with your mind, it's always going to be rooted in Christ and the gospel. Things are going to be bouncing off of those all the time. And that's what he's saying here, Paul, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, that we have been given, in verse 16, the mind of Christ. When you know Christ, you have been given the mind of Christ. That is not the mind that is perfect. That is the mind that, it's not like Jesus' brain was planted in yours, this perfect way of assessment. We know that when Jesus walked the earth, he could, he could discern the thoughts of men. He knew what the Pharisees were thinking. He knew what they were doing when they were trying to trap him. That's not this mind that this brain transplant has happened, but we who are in Christ have been given a new mind. If we believe that Jesus has redeemed and restored all of our faculties, he redeemed and restored our life, our future, our eternity, he's also restoring and redeeming our minds. And he's reshaping them. That is the promise and hope of the gospel. And so Paul writes here, in 1 Corinthians 2, and really I'd have to back up, if you have your Bibles, into chapter 1. In verse 18 in chapter 1, we, we've heard this before, and he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who is being saved is the power of God. Paul says, listen, sometimes you and I have had this experience when we who know Christ go out and preach the gospel, and people are like, I don't really care. It's like a lights out thing to them. They're, it's foolish to them when you share the gospel because they're, they don't understand. And that's what this whole text is about. How can one understand the scriptures? He goes on to say in verse 20 and 21, Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. God uses the foolish things of the world. He does not use the wise, intellectual way of the world that Satan has crept in to, to these hearts and minds to deceive a world. He has used very simple things and captured very simple people for his glory. And he doesn't use 
this, this eloquency. And Paul talks about that at the beginning of chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers, in verse 1, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul was sharing the gospel in its simplicity. He wasn't trying to be eloquent with words. He wasn't trying to, to craft some message that he did not contrive himself or that he contrived himself, one that, that Jesus got a hold of his life, and he's advancing that through the world. My speech and my message in verse 4 were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration, and here's where he starts, here's where the wisdom comes from, the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If you and I are going to think rightly and think biblically, it starts there. You need to know where wisdom comes from. It comes from the spirit of God. It is not from ourselves. There's been many people in this earth that, that have argued, Darwin, one of them, logic, intellect, all these things that make sense in his world to come up with something like evolution because it's something that makes sense. Very intellectual man, but he didn't know God when he was thinking these things. And it kind of flies against the premise of God is for God and God has created the world. In our world, many people are trying to figure out what they know and can see and experience as truth. And yet if it's not from God, it's not from His Spirit, it's not truth at all. And so Paul says you need wisdom, but you need it from the Spirit. And so in verse 6 he says, Among the mature we do impart wisdom, but in verse 7 we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages. And then he writes, picking up where we are in our text, and I want to highlight verse 12 and then go into 14. He says this in verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might, what? Understand the things freely given to us by God. And in verse 13, To interpret spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We have been given the Spirit of God to understand, to use our minds, to think logically about, and to interpret the spiritual truths. We have been given a mind of Christ to understand the Bible and spiritual truths, to open them up and glean from them and put everything in life through that lens. And it's from the Spirit. It is not the wisdom of the world. Now John Calvin said our knowing ability, our intellect, is limited. Because we're created, we're not the creator. So our knowing ability is limited. But it's also injured because of sin. Our knowing ability is limited, our mind, our intellect, because we're created. We don't know all the things. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Leave the secret things to God and the revealed things to man. That is a very important scripture for us, that we don't know all there is to know about God. He hasn't revealed all things about himself. But our mind is also injured in the fall, in the way of sin. And so that's why you and I struggle with falsehood. That's why you and I have minds that are distorted. That's why you and I think evil thoughts. Even those who are in Christ, we have moments of weakness, moments that we need to repent from, moments when we think certain things, develop certain things, deep-rooted idols. Russell talked about that last week that need to be plucked out if we're ever going to worship the true God in the right way. Because of sin, you and I have injured minds, and we also have certain prejudices that affect our minds. And so what I want to do is I want to just move through some prejudices before I talk about how we can understand and think better. And if you know Isaac Watts, you know this name because he is a famous hymn writer. 750 hymns did he write. So a musician, one of them, the most famous one, Joy to the World. But Isaac Watts was also an intellectual ninja. I said that for Matt's benefit. 
this great Puritan of faith who was a deep, deep thinker. And he wrote this book, which I recommend. I'll give you the title here. You can write it down if you want. And it's a crazy title. And he writes this book called this. Are you ready? I might have to repeat it twice. So if you're writing it down, you better write fast. His book title is this. Logic, semicolon, the right uses of reason in the inquiry after truth with a variety of rules to guard against error in the affairs of religion and human life as well as in the sciences. I would have just called it, use your brain. The right uses of reason in the inquiry after truth with a variety of rules to guard against error in the affairs of religion and human life as well as in the sciences. Basically everything. Use your brain. Here's the ways that you can guard your mind and think rightly about the Bible. And in this book, he lists five prejudices. I simply don't have time to uncover them all, but if you get the book and you can read more widely, that would be a really good book related to this series. And these prejudices are things that have stained our mind or injured our mind, the things that we come to certain truths with, and we, oh, I don't know if that's real or right, and prejudices that we develop out of a sinful state, if you will, in a mind that starts believing falsehoods. Of many, there are in our world believing things that are not true, but we think, yeah, I could justify that, but we're not thinking about them rightly. So if we want to use our brains and think rightly, not with the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom of the Spirit, as Paul counsels there, I want to briefly just list these five and some implications behind all of them. The first one is the prejudice arising from words. That's what Paul is talking about here, lofty speech. Sometimes people, politicians, celebrities, whatever it is, use eloquent words. They, they have lofty speech. Sometimes professors in colleges, and they're doing this in college campuses all over our country, are using lofty speech to sway the minds of young people. And they're thinking, well, they must be knowledgeable and it must be truth because of their eloquency on the subject lofty words. And what this, what, what this comes into is a mishandling and a misunderstanding of words. People are saying things, but they're not true. That's why so many false teachers and preachers are followed. Why? Because the scriptures say their ears are tickled. They hear what they want to hear, but it's not truth. And so they think, man, that guy is a really gifted communicator, mostly because he's telling me exactly what my sinful heart wants to hear. And so that's a prejudice that arises from just words. Words that are just like satisfying to us and, and truth starts to be formed, but it's a prejudice. The second prejudice is from things about which we are thinking. And the problem here is not so much about the things that you and I think about or daydream about or wonder about. The problem is with the thinker. We have to remember that. That we often regard things by appearance and think about things. I've said this, and I'm guilty of it, and I repent of it as often as I can, and I catch myself in it. Assumptions are the worst thing on the planet. They really are. When you and I assume things based on perception, we start to think, if, if I have an interaction with somebody in this room, and you're having a bad day, and I walk around and, or walk away from that interaction and say, well, they must not like me. That's an assumption I've made. And it starts me to form a truth when you could have just, no, like, I had someone just ask me that this morning. I sent a text to Lisa yesterday. She said, were you upset with me? I said, no. I was just thinking something different. That's a good example. I didn't plan on using that. But I form, she formed a truth, and we do it all the time. That's just one small example. When you encounter relationships, you form a truth that's just not true because you've assumed something that's not true. 
And the problem is about you dwelling on that. And you know, like me, you dwell on that. It takes you through your day. You lose sleep over at night. All because you, the thinker, it's the problem with you. It's not based on real truth. The third prejudice of presentation. We can be swayed by things just because of how they look, how they're presented in appearance. If someone is confident and stands up here and is, is assured and, 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 and very confident in his words because, because he just knows a lot, and I listened to guys like that yesterday, but I have to examine the scriptures, and we'll talk about that, but just because some way that it's presented doesn't mean it's truth all the time. And I know I'm flying through these. I'm watching minutes tick by here. The fourth one, the prejudice arising from ourselves. This one has to do with our childhood and the things that we have formed in our mind when we brush up against different truths that we see out in the world and we've had experiences maybe we've carried through our childhood. Maybe a better word for this is comfort or tradition that when we get into looking at trying to discern something, we say, well, that's not how I know it. It's different. I never grew up with that. I often ask people when they come to Real Hope for the first time, and many have come out of Catholic churches or Catholic backgrounds, usually the first question I'll ask is, so was today like really different? And some people have said, can you even do what you do in church? (laughs) It's because of tradition. It's built up a structure and a religion of truth that like when you come and experience something different, it doesn't match up. And it must not be right. And so we do that all the time with ourselves. Some of these deep-rooted things also might be deep-rooted idols, maybe a need for someone's approval. And so we come up against something, and because of an idol in our heart, we can't understand clear truth. But the problem, again, is with the thinker. We'll believe all sorts of things that aren't true because our heart will deceive us, which leads to the fifth. And this is the biggest one, the biggest one we see in the church today. The prejudice arising, the prejudice arising from experience and emotion. This is the huge one. I experienced it. I feel it, so it must be true. This is in our culture, moral relativism. Because I thought it was true, because I felt it was true, because I think this feels good, and because I experienced this thing, it must be right. Which is why the world today is pushing, pushing, pushing this. Whatever you want to do is fine. Against number two, that God has designed the world in a certain way. Because you set the truth. And so if you had this experience, if you had this thing that made you feel, then it must be right. It must be. And Jeremiah 17, 9 will tell us something completely different. Your heart is deceptive. You can't trust your feelings and emotions. And we dangerously formulate doctrines on the ground of experience. And I can be sloppy in my thinking. I don't have to use my brain because I can experience so wonderful something so wonderful and then I attach truth to it and it felt so good so it must be right and our sensory glands are aroused. So I just believe it. And I don't believe it when my emotions are crushed, which is why the prosperity gospel is so welcoming to people. Because it's what you believe about God. I cannot believe that God is good unless what? Unless my life feels good. And I start to doubt God and his goodness and love if my life is not good. And I have pain. That's why the prosperity gospel is so welcoming. Because it says, these things match. Your life is good and God is good. But it's temporal and false and superficial because we know the Bible says that we'll have trials and tribulations and there'll be pain and there'll be suffering. And all these things ought to push us more into hope. But what they do in our minds is because they don't feel good, it translates to not trusting God anymore because he can't be good. 
There's no way he would make my heart hurt like this if he was good. And we've elevated experience over biblical truth. And it's happening in our world, and it's happening in the church when we elevate experience over biblical truth. And I read this quote, and I'll share it with you. I think it's excellent. It said that experience and sentiment are the one-two punch of heresy. That when we experience things, it's not that experiences are bad, but experience and emotion lead us to form all these dangerous doctrines that we don't see in the Scripture. And in that, we must say that the knowledge whose origin is from God, Scripture, will always be superior to the knowledge whose origin is from man our own experience and motion. That's why we need to run to the Bible. What does God say? I know this is how I feel. I know this is what I think. But what does God say about that? So he can reshape my mind. And so his knowledge can be elevated over my experience and emotion. And Paul writes that the only way that we will be able to reshape our mind, and that's what he's drawing from Second or 1 Corinthians 2 here, is that if we have the mind of Christ, and we can't have the mind of Christ unless we have the Spirit, and we have to have the Spirit, and we can't have the Spirit unless we have eternal life, and we can't have eternal life unless we've been born again, and we can't be born again until we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's how we have the mind of Christ. Through that progression, Jesus and Nicodemus had that conversation. How must, how must one have eternal life? Or he said, what does it mean to be born again? Jesus says, you have to place your faith in me. You have to be born of water and spirit. God has to change your heart and soul like he did for Johnny and Jovert and me and many of us in here. And it has to be a saving faith. Not of ourselves, of our own works or our lofty minds, but because of the work of God at Jesus, at the cro- in Jesus at the cross. And we need grace and we need peace. That's what 2 Peter 1, 2, and 3, if you flip there, I'll just read it. It says that grace and peace are multiplied. We heard this yesterday at the conference in the knowledge of God. If we want grace and peace, it's multiplied by what? The knowledge of God. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Not how we think God should be or how we feel, but what do we know about God that causes us to think rightly and learn things pertaining to life and godliness. It matters that we know God and we know him through his word. So we come with broken minds and broken prejudices, but how then can we think rightly? How can you and I start thinking biblically? And I leave you with these four things, trying to move through them. First, you need to learn what the Bible says. We've talked about that for weeks. I'm going to flip real quick to Acts 17. You can flip there if you want. Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. We need to be like the Bereans. This is what it says when they encountered Paul. This is in the early church. Paul is moving through, sharing the gospel. New churches are being formed. And it says the brothers, in verse 10 in chapter 17, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word, listen, the Bereans received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They heard the word of God preached, but they went back and examined the word of God to see if what these nutcases were saying was true. These Jesus freaks on fire with the gospel, they preached the word of God, but I want to go back and see, are this... That's why we say 
If you hear something I say, open up your Bible. I sat there with my Bible open as I listened to these godly teachers. And is this really what this is saying? Praying, asking? Yeah, confirmed. But we must examine the scriptures. We need to know what the Bible says. We need to be like the Bereans. That's the first thing. You need to invest yourself in the study of scriptures. That's what we were doing in the Philippines, telling these young men who many of them didn't read the Old Testament. They're more caught in the New Testament. You need to examine what God has been doing through human history. You can't understand the New Testament unless you understand what he has done in the Old. And you can't begin to understand the Old Testament until you see what he's done in Christ in the New Testament. That's the first thing. Learn what the Bible says. The second one, and I'll be brief in this because we've covered it, you need to learn what the Bible does not say. We've covered this weeks ago. Verse jacking, things that the Bible doesn't say. Things that, that are misinterpreted or mishandled. You need to learn what the Bible doesn't say. And the third one is you need to learn how to apply the Bible in your life. This is what keeps us from being a Pharisee, just saying or knowing and not doing. James 1.22, be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And next week, I want to talk about how we can love people in our knowledge instead of beating them over the head with it, but we still need to apply biblical truths if God is going to use them for change. We can't just know them. They have to translate to our heart. Chip Ingram stood on the stage and talked about practice of 30 years, how he moved things from his head to his heart that we apply these things in our life. And the fourth one was this, is this. You need to learn the why of your faith in Jesus. Do you know why you believe the doctrines? Do you know salvation? Do you know the role of the Spirit? Do you know the function of the Godhead? 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Can you defend your faith? Can you articulate the gospel clearly to somebody? Can you take a believer that has never read the Bible, a new believer or a non-believer and share the gospel, but then take a new believer after he's placed his faith in Christ and begin to teach him how to study the scriptures? Can you do that? And many of us would say, I don't know if I could do that, but, but that's the charge of the believer. Use your brain. Start investing in the scriptures so that you can know these things yourselves and then teach them to others. So how can we have the mind of Christ? For those of us that are in Christ, it's a promise, it's a truth that we have it. But Jesus said, if you don't know Christ, in his prayer before leaving earth in John 17, 3, that knowing, knowing Christ, knowing God is eternal life. And this is eternal life that you know the only true God. The cross is central to the life of the mind. We live on the side of the fall And sin marks all that we are, including our minds, our intellect. And if we are ever going to think rightly again, it starts at the cross. And then for those of us that are in Christ, that have the mind of Christ, it always goes back to Jesus and always returning to him with our hearts, no matter how they feel. Calvin said that to know God is to honor him and that knowing him rightly with our intellect is directly tied to worship and love. What is the true love of the Father? Jesus said was it, to, it was to obey his commands in John 14. And John doubled down on that in 1 John 2 when he said this, My little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, 
intellectually but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is over the long haul. This is not about someone coming to Christ experientially one time. Yeah, I like like had this moment and it could have been a bad burrito, but I got baptized and I like my whole life changed. This is about the long haul of following Jesus, about doing what he says, about growing in the knowledge of the Lord. And this is not experiential. This is about trust and obedience and on hard things and repentance and belief on hard things. Sin that's in our life that we repent of and turn and trust God and feelings that we're experiencing and sorrow and anguish and suffering that we say, God, I'm going to believe that you're good even though I don't feel this way. I want to place my faith in you as my only hope. I read this the other day and I believe it wholeheartedly. It is not going to be the blatantly evil things Satan uses to derail Christ's followers in the world. It'll be the things that appear good appear right in our mind, but they're entirely false, and those are the things that will destroy. Satan is way too smart to use the obvious. He's way too smart in our lives to use the blatantly evil. It'll be the things that he plants in our mind, that he tricks us, that he pulls us away from his word, that we formulate truths that are not truths based on our prejudices, and those are the things that will destroy us. And this world is in terrible disorder and chaos, I think worse than it was before this election, and it's harder and harder to see the truth in all the noise. And you and I must be people that use our minds. When something comes in, we have to weigh it and examine it against the scriptures. We must use our brains. We must see everything through this lens by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord help us to be careful in that as we worship and honor him and love him with our minds. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we praise you and we thank you for your word and we ask you to help us. Father, there is so much even coming up here and thinking about all this all week and thinking about this growing in many ways that, that could be shared and so many questions that we have, but I know this much is true that we need to love you with our minds. We need to think rightly when we hear lies in the world, lies that our heart believes, lies that our, our, our childhood has taught us to believe the way that we've experienced, and we are creatures of limited knowledge, and we have injured minds that need to be reshaped, but we praise you that you have provided Jesus to reshape them. You've provided the word manifested in the flesh you provided the word revealed to us, this truth of the scriptures to look to, to reshape our minds. And so, Father, help us be people that do that. Let us not believe the insanity and foolish things of the world. That is not what you have used to bring your message of hope. Father, you have used your spirit to deliver truth. And so may we walk in the spirit. May we be people of the word that look in the scriptures for truth. And Father, as we move to a time of just remembering and celebrating this memorial meal, that you would cause us to repent of lies that we have believed, truths that we need to cling to, falsehoods that we've been deceived with. And Father, help us in our heart 
and help us in our mind to love you better, to sort these things out. Father, that we would know you and that we would find our knowledge about you in the scriptures. Father, prepare our hearts as we take this meal together. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood that was shed and covers us that we, we might rejoice in, in Christ and his goodness. And we pray these things in his name and all God's people said. As the servers come forward and we transition our time, I want to just read again 1 Corinthians 11. We say this every time we gather around this table, that you don't have to be a member of Real Hope Community Church to partake in this meal, but you do have to be a member of the family of God. You have having trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sins, repented of your sin, and trusted him by faith. And, and the Spirit is in you, and you know, and 1 Corinthians remind us of that, of this, Paul writes in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, this about the Lord's Supper of I have received from the Lord that I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he betrayed, he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's why we do this. That's what we're doing. It's personal to those who take it, is that we are proclaiming the truth about the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection in our own lives and hearts. And so we'll take these two elements. You can hold on to them, and we'll take them together at the end. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you with hearts that I, I pray are prepared and ready to, to take these elements. Father, if, if we can't do that, Paul go, goes on there to write that if we take it in an unworthy manner, that would be displeasing to you. And so, Father, if we need to let these elements pass because of sin or a hardness of heart or because of sin against a brother or sister, that we would let these things pass. But, Father, let those of us who have prepared our heart rightly to take these elements in memorial, remembering what Jesus did for us, his sacrifice, his body broken, his blood shed, and it is this blood alone that covers us, that you see us as, righteousness, as righteous because of the righteousness of Christ that we are covered with. Father, we will continue to struggle all the way until you have called us home or you come back first, that we are made perfectly into your image one day. And Father, that is a life of doing what we don't want to do and doing things that... that that are sinful. And Father, you're bringing us through that, reshaping us and molding us and changing our hearts. And so, Father, we praise you for Jesus. We pray that we'd look to him now and reflect on his goodness. We pray these things in his mighty name and all God's people said, amen. I want to leave you with this from Proverbs 2 as a reminder for us. And for you guys that were there yesterday, you know this was read. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Have a blessed day and go in peace.